0: Welcome to the Enchanted Ears Podcast, where we discuss anything and everything Disney. I'm Angela. And I'm Joe. And this is our 100th episode. Woo! Pretty exciting that we made it to 100 episodes. (laughs) You know, what have been some of your favorite episodes so far, Angela?
1: Oh man. Um, so it is crazy. Whenever I had to do this, it was crazy looking back over those hundred episodes and see all the things that we've covered. Um, But I know that I did mine based on the things that I thought had the most fun either researching or recording. So I had a lot of fun with a lot of our ranking episodes where we were ranking the best of something. So for example, we have a couple, I mean, we have many of those, but a couple that were my favorites to record at least were episode 20. This one was probably one of my favorites, the best Disney animated movie soundtrack, just because I feel so passionately about it. And it was just fun to research everything. And then also uh, eleven and twelve was de- definitively ranking the MCU part one and two. Uh, I had a fun time arguing with you about the best MCU movies. Yeah, I was to say
0: I really enjoyed that going through kind of like a March Madness bracket with the uh, with with the MCU. Yeah, some of mine. I enjoy the games ones that we do, kind of the rankings. I really like the ones where we do guessing, like the the attraction or the land based on the, oh, the sound based on the yeah the music of the theme park land so we've done two of those mm-hmm. um, we did one episode 51 and then 72 we did it based um, solely on the tokyo disney resort oh. so those have been a lot of fun yeah so it, it we've done you know quite a bit over these past 100 episodes if if you're new to the show you know be sure to go back and check some of those old episodes out you know this week I thought, you know, we could do like a six-hour, you know, recap on <laughs> on everything we've ever done. And and maybe we will still do that, but...
1: <laughs> no, we would not subject you to that.
0: But yeah, I thought that'd be a little little long. What we thought would be interesting would be to kind of look at some of the, the... the Our most important moments in kind of Disney history. So Disney's almost 100 years old, so it's kind of close enough. In a couple of years, the Disney company will be 100 years old. So we thought for 100th episode... Kind of going back and look at some memorable moments, you know, throughout Disney history. Some of which, you know, we've covered on the show, on our Disney Decade series, mm-hmm. where we kind of go through each decade of the Walt Disney Company. You know, so you can kind of go back and check those out as well. Before we do that, jump into some Disney news. So Disney announced um, this week they they dropped a trailer for a new show. That is coming on Disney Plus. It's called the Disney Gallery. And so this is going to be an eight episode like docu-series making of The Mandalorian season one. So I'm oh very excited about this. It's a lot of like roundtable discussions <laughs> with Jon Favreau and all of the other directors uh, that directed episodes. And then also, you know, some of the cast members. So this comes out May 4th. <laughs> on Star Wars Day. And uh, this looks really exciting just because, you know, it's behind the scenes.
1: What's it called again? The Disney Gallery? Disney
0: Gallery. So it's behind the scenes, but then it also, you know, the show used a lot of, like, technological advancements. They used those, like, video screens to record some of this stuff, and they used a lot of practical effects. So it re- will really be interesting to kind of see the behind the scenes scenes of this. So I'm really excited for this I, one.
1: I, I will say that I feel like the name isn't very good. When you said the Disney gallery, I thought it was something to do with like their art galleries that you could purchase thing like pa- paintings from gallery makes me think of art and not a particular show. So that, that name doesn't really lead you to believe, like think of the the Mandalorian.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's a making of kind of behind the scenes. So I, I wonder if they'll be doing more of these for different shows. Oh, I'm and sure. this is just kind of the first one. Um, the other thing kind of, Mandalorian related so Taika Waititi was one of the he directed one of the episodes and he played IG-11 um, but he will be writing and directing Thor for Thor Love and Thunder and Chris Hemsworth came out and said that you know he read the script and it's the most Taika Waititi hmm. script ever <laughs> so I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing but I think that that's really interesting to I'm hear that with probably a good thing yeah so if weren't if you weren't already excited to see the new Thor movie uh, and you're a fan of Taika Waititi, or a fan of the you know the last Thor movie that he did. Um, I think this just kind of gets you even more excited.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, Taika has a very interesting sense of humor. Um, it's very funny, light. He has produced many other things. He did the the uh, award winning Jojo Rabbit. He won for Screen writing for that. And also he did uh, what, what we do in the shadows, which was a movie. And then they adapted into a TV show for FX. Uh, we've watched both of those and we both enjoy, I mean, we enjoy both of the, or all of those things. So I think that this is really exciting.
0: Definitely. So, so jumping into our main topic, you know, like we said this week, kind of cover memorable moments in Disney history and there are a lot of memorable moments and there are a lot of important moments so obviously we're not going to cover all of them hmm. because that may then turn into a six-hour podcast so again we might be you know coming up close on six hours we'll, we'll try to keep it under five <laughs> let's do that but so these are were some kind of some of the moments that that we thought you know were were more important um to kind of go with so and we'll we'll Kind of go, you know, chronologically from the beginning of the company, kind of through today.
1: Okay, so I think that uh, whenever I say the company, Pesman Rubin Commercial Art Studio in Kansas City, what does that does that mean anything to you? Because it sounds kind of like a little nothing company.
0: Not at all. Yes.
1: Okay. Well, that sounds little, like a made
0: up company for know, some like right? movie or something. Sounds like
1: something I just made up right now, just just for did. fun. I think you did. <laughs> but it is actually. Uh, it's the place where 18-year-old Ub Iwerks meets Walt Disney in 1919. So um, that eventually ended up creating undeniably one of the most important characters in Disney history because it was Walt and Ub that collaborated to really create and form Mickey Mouse. So I think that, I mean, he, Ub was a, an amazing animator. Uh, I In the article that I read, I was reading the encyclopedia Britannica. I got really legit on this one. (laughs) Uh, it was the Encyclopedia Britannica. Does those
0: even exist anymore?
1: No, it's the online version. (laughs) Um, and Ub Iwerks is in there. He's important enough to be in that. And so it mentions that Ub is a fast and flexible artist when Disney was a visionary with a a lack, a knack for salesmanship. So the two of them together really, um, meeting was fantastic for the company and the creation of what became just this crazy empire
0: yeah so i mean the walt disney company started in 1923 so this was a few years even before that and you know if you look back at all of these kind of events you know and memorable moments in disney history they all build on each other but kind of looking back at you know maybe what is the the moment i mean this may be the seminal moment for everything that comes after it because you're right without you know ub I don't know that you have Mickey Mouse without Mickey Mouse. I don't know that you have the theme parks and and just everything else that comes mm-hmm. off of this. You know, a lot of a lot of Disney fans like to say, you know, you always have, always have to remember it all started with a mouse. So if you don't mm-hmm. have the mouse, you know, how much do you have after that? And you know, it, it really is interesting because you're right. You know, Ub was uh, was a great animator, and he uh, he he was a great animator, and without him. I mean Disney started an animation. So without him, do you are you as successful as a company and and I think they really worked well together. And it is interesting, you know, a lot of these, you know, major companies, there's there's typically two partners that kind mm-hmm. of start this. Now, you also have Roy yes. who, who was involved in it as well, but you know, if you look at, you know, Disney and Ub, th- they kind of collaborated very well. If you look at like Apple, you have Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak, mm-hmm. Microsoft had Bill Gates and Paul Allen. I mean, there's typically as much as we remember the one main person out right. uh, you know out of those three. They the, usually
1: have a right hand man that's yeah, not as Yeah, famous. there's other there's
0: other people there that play just a bigger role. And you know, I think Ub was was that. And it kind of leads into, you know, like we said, Mickey Mouse. And with that, there's a lot of technological advancements, you know, that that happened. So, you know, in 1929, another major moment in Disney history is the release of Steamboat Willie. So this is the first synchronized, fully synchronized sound cartoon, and obviously you have Steamboat Willie, Mickey Mouse, as as the um, as the lead here. So you know Walt, he was really on the forefront of a lot of different technologies. Um, you know, sound in movies was one of them, color, but this fully synchronized sound. So that before there there were a lot of you know, cartoons or movies that had sound, but they weren't fully synchronized. So it was just sound, you know, playing uh, with a silent movie and it didn't really sync up. So with the fully synchronized sound, it it really, the sound then played a part in the storytelling. Um, and this just was kind of the first, this was one of the first things Walt did to kind of show how he was on the forefront of everything. And I think it, it started to put him on the map that he was really willing to push, um, you know, what was, previously thought possible he
1: I mean it really did kind of create that culture of innovation it he throughout the decades he really innovated animation and everything I mean you know he and his team whenever we say Walt we know that Walt isn't solely responsible for all of this but they had this culture of okay this is what we're doing it's working but can we do it better
0: yeah and they they continue to push and then you know, an- another kind of just feat and just another example of, you know, them pushing to do as best as they possibly could was whenever they released Snow White, which was then the first full length feature that was an animated film. So before, you know, animation was just shorts, it was just cartoons. This was a full movie. So, you know, this is, you know, as much as we have like Pixar and things today. I don't know that you would have that without Walt kind of changing the mystique almost of the medium because, again, before it was thought of as as cartoons and just shorts, but then he kind of showed that you could have a full-length movie that was completely animated that, one, it was possible to do to have a story that long, and two, it could be commercially viable. So because of that, you have all these other forms of animation making feature length movies you know 50 100 years down the road
1: well he got people to take something i think that was maybe taken for granted seriously because you know you figure probably back at that time they would probably view animation as first of all it, it was very labor intensive so it was definitely something that they wanted to keep short usually but also those shorts were probably designed more for kids um and for for a comedic effect so he really took that and showed you know, like you were saying, that it could actually be a longer form, that people were interested. It could hold their attention for that length of time. And yeah, without, without that movie to prove the concept because it was a smashing success uh, and that nearly bankrupted the company, it, you know, w- what do we have as a company? So that I definitely think that that's a great choice. Yeah.
0: And then, you know, there were a lot of other successful... And very iconic, you know, animated feature films that they continued to make again, you know, Walt perfected the multi plane camera surround sound, there, there was a lot of other you know, technological advancements throughout the 40 30s and 40s that, you know, the company continued to push on the forefront. I mean, one of the things then you know Walt gets into in the fifties is television, which is a new medium not a lot of people get into. And that's very important in itself. But I think what's even more important is what it leads to, and that's the creation of the theme park. So in 1955, you have Disneyland, and then in 1971, you have Disney World. And I think if you look at kind of you know the the Disney company in sections and, you know, kind of multi-decade sections, you have, you know, the early few decades where it is, you know, it's creating these animated features. It's showing that animation is a viable medium. And then you have, once you get into the fifties, sixties, seventies, you have this shift to almost creating, um, you have this shift to now this, this huge fandom, because you have people that grew up on these movies that love Disney, now they're creating these theme parks, which is something that's really never existed it's- before. That people can now go to and is now, you know, an event in and of itself where these movies can live on forever and grow even even deeper.
1: Yeah, it's almost like a home away from home. You know, for those of you who listen to this, I know that'll probably a lot of you make very frequent pilgrimages or pilgrimages whenever you can to one of the parks and that is because it, it does it there's something about it that is so first of all nostalgic um because you know it brings you back to your childhood it brings you back to uh thinking about these movies that you learn to love and you appreciate and you see them for the brilliance that they are because they are i mean these animated films are so i mean it's not just animated but most of them are animated they're so great at Boiling down what makes us human, simplifying it a bit for kids, but also I mean there's some deep themes in there that you can watch over and over again throughout your life and still get something from. Um, it, it's it's incredible, and so the fact that they actually made a home for that, a place where everybody, people from all over the world want to visit, it it's incredible. It's a lot. It has a lot of untapped potential. I mean Disney World has they've only really developed about half of their land. Now I know that they can't de- develop all of it, but there's so much potential for the parks and they're always growing and improving.
0: No, I know you think Disney world is more important than Disneyland.
1: I didn't say. So if we're looking at it as the, over oh, the hundred years, Disneyland is important as a proof of concept, but I think that Disney world is Disneyland is more of like the California native people. Disney world's really go. the Mecca. It is to,
0: to go to. I mean, that that is like the, you know, it's the piece center, de resistance. Yeah, it's the center of Disney fandom, I think, across the world.
1: Right, right. So, I mean, di- I, no, no disrespect to Disneyland; it's wonderful. I loved it. <laughs> we have plans to go there again this year. It's amazing. But um, that, unfortunately, Walt ran into the issue of you know Anaheim small the 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 art you know there's not a lot of land there to acquire and develop. So Disney World has the capability of having that sprawling ca- campus that he wanted. Um, and really creating the atmosphere of, you know, not having to care about a lot. You get your, your transportation. You can have your hotels right there. Um, yeah. So I think that, yeah, D- Disney World's the mecca.
0: And I think, you know, Disneyland is definitely very important because it was something so original mm-hmm. having a theme park it was something that was never really done before, and and you're right it it did really show it was a risk but then it did really show it was a proof of concept that hey this could be successful, and you know if we could be successful with one park, um, you know what we could be successful with you're right getting more land being able to build it out. I really think though it wasn't until the 80s and 90s that you had michael eisner take over as ceo and i know you know his reputation maybe mixed maybe he's tarnished based on his later years but if you really look at his early time you know since whenever he became ceo in 1984 he was ceo for 21 years but he really changed the perception of disney world so to your point you know, Disney World is this center, but I, I don't know that it would have become that without Michael Eisner because he he brought a kind of developer's approach to it. And he was the one that said, you know, we need to build out these hotels. We need to build more parks. So, you know, under Michael Eisner, we got Hollywood Studios. We got Animal Kingdom.
1: Well, yeah. We
0: got a ton of resorts. And he really saw it as, you know, people want to come here and we want people to stay not just for a day or two and go to a couple of parks we want them to stay a week we want you know there to be multiple parks and water parks and restaurants and something kind of for everyone so you have you know upper scale restaurants you know down to quick service and that's i think really what changed and made Disney World really the center i mean Disneyland to your point you know it it is it's good but then it does run into it can't expand as much so it's it's harder to have these, you know, longer trips there because there's just not as much to do because they don't have as much room.
1: Yeah, I mean, to use like a little bit of an analogy, Michael Eisner, he's like The best monopoly player if you think about it because you know where some people might get caught up with okay i want these particular properties like i want the red ones so i'm gonna wait and hold my money out so that i can you know get kentucky and indiana and illinois and i can put hotels on them almost immediately and try to drain people dry but michael eisner was out there saying hey i land on a property i'm gonna (laughs) i'll buy it up and i know that i can create this empire from it oh railroad awesome then we can we can transport from one place to the next so I think that Michael Eisner is the winner of Monopoly.
0: Also, you know, I think why Michael Eisner was important is, you know, not only the expansion of the theme parks, he grew the theme parks internationally, kind of made them a core part of the business. And now, you know, theme parks are, the you know, one of the top businesses, um, you know, for Disney, but. And he was there, and he came from you a know, competing studio, so he kind of had that Hollywood background. So he was there to help with the Disney Renaissance and kind of the, the re-emergence of Disney animation.
1: Speaking of the Disney Renaissance, I think that uh, one of the most important things... Now, you could argue with me, because there's tons of Disney movies with amazing soundtracks, but the musical explosion of The Lion King is one of the best... Um, one of the best things to happen in Disney history. So you figure they had this incredible collaboration, this incredible team that they put together, assembled like basically like the Avengers for music. And they created this amazing team for to, to make this amazing movie that honestly, if you think about the Lion King, it's a great story. It's amazing. But if you don't have the music, it's not Nearly as striking of a movie. So them being able to put together Tim Rice, Elton John, and I don't know if I'm saying his name right, Lebo M or Lebo M. uh, I don't know that you're gonna get as great of a movie as you ended up getting if you don't do that. So um, just a just a quick thing, and I know we talked about this in one of the other episodes. If I just want to point out the things that Elton John (laughs) basically won for alone, this isn't including things like um, you know soundtrack and even things like circle of life that Elton John recorded a cover of, but he didn't really write. Um, He won the Academy award for can you feel the love tonight? He won a golden globe for best song for, can you feel the love tonight? The circle, uh, Oh, the circle of life actually lost to that one because it was nominated in the same category and Elton John won a Grammy for the best male pop local performance for, can you feel the love tonight? So, I mean, that movie, just was a, an incredible source of talent for for music. And I think that it really helped to develop that, again, a, a wonderful culture that now has a musical that's the most successful musical.
0: yeah, it really did. That whole Renaissance era really helped Disney kind of come back on the map. I mean, they did not have a lot of great movies before that in the, you know decade or two before that. Again, I mean, the theme parks, were kind of expanding but they weren't necessarily creating a lot of new content to feed those theme parks and so you know having that those great movies in the 90s you know really helped and helped bring a whole new generation into Disney and you know my kind of last point and kind of you know last major moment um, you know, in, in the Disney company is then at the end of Michael Eisner's tenure in 2005 when we get Bob Iger as CEO. Because I think, you know, Michael Eisner, he was a great CEO for the 80s and 90s to really expand the theme parks and, and kind of help put that, kind of help set up that mindset in place of, you know, we need to be this world-class entertainment center for hotels and restaurants and and everything and kind of thinking that mindset. But then Bob Iger came in and he really realized early on that, The theme parks are great, but then you also need the IP, the intellectual property to feed the theme parks. And he really went on this incredible expansion of the Walt Disney Company to pull so many major uh, brands under the Disney umbrella in his tenure. And I think, you know, looking at Disney now, it's kind of hard to imagine in 2005 all of the properties that we didn't have. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like Lucasfilm or Marvel. I mean, those are Disney properties now that weren't Disney. I mean, even Fox and in pixar right i mean the year that was his first big one yeah i was gonna say the
1: year after he took over they acquired pixar and when you think like it is mind-blowing to me when i looked up earlier when disney acquired pixar because i my memory is terrible i know i've heard this before but in 2006 that means like a ton of those movies a ton of pixar's movies so starting with toy story and ending around like with finding nemo disney helped to distribute their movies but they didn't really they weren't owned by disney pixar was a completely separate company and so you know when you think of what this little studio did um but like without the big money behind disney it, it's it's crazy and it's crazy to see how well that they've taken that technology because i'm sure that they saw the value in in that computer animation and they've now incorporated it into their disney movies as well it's just it's amazing that they were able to do that and to to bring that in and make it part of the family. Yeah, and
0: really, the acquisition of Pixar, you know, was was so important. One because of, of Pixar, but two because it helped revitalize Disney animation. Mm-hmm. Um, because it, you it, know, a, it was Pixar. A, a
1: kind of It was having a stale spot a little bit.
0: Yeah, again, it kind of we went through the Renaissance, it was going through another cold spot. So, you know, Pixar, they helped kind of bring some of their methods into Disney animation, which which you know gave us a lot of great Disney animation movies recently, like Moana and Zootopia. And so I think that's why, again, it kind of all goes back to Bob Iger, because with without him. I don't think Disney would have acquired Pixar. You know, he he saw the need for that. He saw how important the Pixar characters were in the parks, but that Disney didn't own them. And so, you know, once he had that, again, he saw Marvel as a key property, he saw Star Wars as a key property, he mm-hmm. saw Fox. And so, the Disney company today 15 years after he took over is a dramatically different Disney company just based on, you know, the catalog of characters and movies that they have at their disposal now. It's almost pretty amazing because if you think about it, the the possibilities for for where they can go from here are pretty endless just based on just based on what they own. I mean, you know, Universal uh Universal Studios, they're a theme park as well, but they don't own most of their ip for their attraction so they have to go you know and license it like harry potter they license that but disney i mean they could basically make a theme park attraction or movie or tv show about pretty much anything and they would own it like Mm -hmm. it's pretty amazing to think that and i would have to imagine being an imagineer now is both a blessing and a curse one Mm -hmm. because you can literally do anything and one because you can literally do anything. <laughs> so it you know, it's hard to try to be I think yeah. creative when you're yeah. not limited in any way, but it, it is amazing to think of that that you know, without Bob Iger, Disney may not own all these properties and then it's like what what does the company look like today without that?
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I I think that that pretty much wraps it up. And I know that we missed a ton of other really momentous occasions for Disney, but you know, these are some of our favorites and some of the things that we found to be, you know, the most important, in Disney history. So uh, I think congratulations on almost making it to 100 for them. And thank you so much for allowing us to make it to 100. Uh, This is crazy for me to even think about us recording 100 of these together. And we wouldn't do it if it wasn't for you, the listener. So thank you so much for tuning in and listening, lending us your ears week after week and interacting with us on Facebook and Instagram and going to our website and leaving your positive comments. I mean, all that stuff helps so much. I hope to be around for another 100 or 100 times like 10.
0: That's a lot of episodes. (laughs) So, but I agree. Yes. Thank you very much. We, you know, we could not do it without all of our great listeners and we really appreciate it. If you're new, check out some of the, our older episodes that we mentioned, make sure you subscribe you know, leave us a rating or a review. All that stuff really helps. Tell a friend that we get some more listeners here for the next 100. So we really appreciate it. And we'll uh, see you here next week.
1: Thanks for lending us your ears. Bye.